0: بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد اللهم لا علم لنا إلا ما علمتنا إنك أنت العلم الحكيم اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما وعملا يا كريم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري واحل الأقدة من لساني يفقه قولي My dear brothers and sisters in Islam, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. I welcome you all to part six of our series, A Blast from the Past. Sirah in the 21st century. All praises belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for making us complete yet another Taraweeh in this blessed month. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept our ibadah. Ameen. And all praises belong to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for bringing us together in this blessed place. A place dedicated towards salah and the recitation of the Holy Quran. And a place dedicated towards having discussions related to several Islamic related projects. And a place related um, or a place that has in it the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and circles of knowledge. It has in it moments in which the inheritance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is shared. Is shared. We praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for all these blessings. And we praise Allah for choosing us to witness and experience these blessings. Indeed, he says sallallahu wa sallam, Rasulullah sallallahu wa says, the man who you and i are studying in this series today he says mujtama'a qaumun fi baytin min buyutillahi ta'ala yatluna kitaballahi wa yatadarasunahu fi ma bainahum illa nazalat 'alayhimus sakinah wa hashatuhumur rahmah wa haffatuhumul mala'ika wa dhakarahumullahu fi man 'indah an amazing hadith hadith of abu hurairah radiyallahu in sahih muslim he says وسلم, that there's no group of people who come together in a house from the houses of Allah. Yet Kitab Allah, they read the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and together they learn lessons from this book. And our study has some relationship to the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We said that the first place of study of the Sirah is the Qur'an. In our first session together, and we said that we must study the seerah to further understand the Quran. Right? Except that Allah gives, no one does this except that Allah gives them four blessings and four rewards and four gifts. What are these gifts? Number one, except that Allah causes sakina and peace and contentment to befall this gathering. وَغَشِيَتْهُمُ الرَّحْمَةِ And Allah causes this gathering to be engulfed in the mercy of Allah. وَحَفَّتْهُمُ الْمَلَائِكَةِ And Allah appoints angels to surround this gathering. Allahu Akbar. This is a blessed gathering indeed. Angels do not attend any gathering except blessed ones. This is a blessed gathering. And we are surrounded by angels. And then The biggest prize of all, وَذَكَّرَهُمُ اللَّهُ فِي عِنْدَهُ Allahu Akbar. Allah mentions the people of this gathering to the angels. Allah praises the people of this gathering to the angels. Subhanallah. Imagine how proud we are when our parents praise us, when our bosses praise us, when our principal or teacher praises us. It, It gives us some form of elation, some form of happiness, right? A report comes in from the auditing body, the body that checks our performances. And it's a, it's a good report. How proud do we get? We get happy, right? Good reviews come on LinkedIn, even if it's our colleagues. They endorse you. What happens? You feel, you feel happy. You feel happy, right? A company that you visit writes into your, your company and says, you know this person you sent, please keep on sending them. They've been amazing. How happy do you feel? طيب. Now imagine, if the King of Kings, Lord of the Worlds, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Rabbul Izzati wal Jalal, Al-Wahidul Qahar, Al-Ahad As-Samad, Al-Ladhi Lam Yalid, Lam Yulad, Walam Yakul Lahu Kufuwan Ahad, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, praises you to the angels. How amazing is that? May Allah praise us to the angels. Ameen, Ameen. So this is a blessed gathering and we praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and thank Him for that. And even for my brothers and sisters on the live streaming, you are included as well. You are included as well because you are technically in a house from the houses of Allah, and you are most definite, definitely part of this gathering. Our Sheikh Sa'ad al-Shidri Allah, he says this hadith also encompasses those who study online. Who study online. This hadith encompasses them as well. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah. Yesterday, my dear brothers and sisters, we were discussing the, uh, the, the early years of Rasulullah wasallam and his journey to the countryside. And if you recall at the beginning, I mentioned to you certain names that I wanted you to remember. Such as Barakah, such as Thuwaybah, such as Halima, such as Amina, such as Muhammad, such as Rabiul Awal. Do you remember that? I said, take heed of these names. And the reason why I said that is because we're taking lessons from the seerah. If we look at Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam's life, the people around him had amazing names. Amina, which means refers to protection and security, and someone content. Amina Then One of his carers Barakah Blessings Then You have the, uh, One of his Foster mothers Thuwaybah Which refers to rewards Then you have Halima His other foster mother Halima Somebody soft Somebody gentle Somebody caring Then you have his name Muhammad The praised one Then you also have the month in which he was born, Rabi' al-awwal, Rabi' Rabi' refers to this this type of spring, this happy moment where things flower. Right? Amazing names. Shaykhul Islam ibn Taymiyyah rahmatullahi alayh, he says, everybody has a portion of the names that they carry and the names that they're surrounded with. We take this lesson, The lesson of being careful and particular with the names that we choose for our children when we name them. This is what we learn from this event in the life of Rasulullah How to choose good names for our children. Some people, mashaAllah, they have amazing methodologies in choosing their children's names. You hear names, you say, subhanAllah, where did you get this name from? It's as if, you know, they just opened the mushaf, Close their eyes, flicked a few pages, and then just, you know, Tayyib, uh, Shaytan. No, 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 Shaytan is not a good name. Let's, let's try it again. <laughs> right? It's as if we're just picking names from. Anyway, this is just a lighthearted moment for you all. <laughs> we should choose the best names for our children. The best names for our children. Names which have precious meanings. Names. Even better if the name was the name of a great man who walked the face of this earth. Muhammad, Ahmed, Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, Ali, radiyallahu anhum Ajmaeen And before that, sallallahu alayhi sallam Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi sallam Blessed names, Musa, Ibrahim, Allahu Akbar. What will make you understand this name, Ibrahim? Yusuf, Allahu Akbar. Beautiful names. Today, we say, no, you know, those are old-fashioned names. You know, Shaykh, give us a name. Say, what did you have, a boy or a girl? A boy. Why don't you name Abdullah? Well, that's a bit old-fashioned, Sheikh. We want, you know, the current names, the in-fashion names. What are the in-fashion names? Like, I'm not a trend follower. What's in-fashion and what's out of fashion, right? And today, you find, subhanAllah, we give our children names, if you Google these names, they're the names of the biggest singers and people of Fasad out there. Allah yes, they have a nice tune to it. But in reality, as this great scholar said, everybody has a portion from the name that they carry. Choose names of people that were the giants that walked the face of this earth. So your child can grow up and anticipate being like the person who made his name famous. This is what we learned from the seerah. It's not about old-fashioned names. Be substantial. Remember we spoke about in one of the lessons, personality versus character. What do you want? To be a personality or do you want to be shallow? Or do you want to have character and be a person of substance? So we are a portion of the names that we carry. This was the last lesson that I wish to share with you yesterday, but time ran out. And Alhamdulillah, Allah blessed us to cover this lesson today. Moving on, my dear brothers and sisters, we want to discuss today, bi-idhnillahi ta'ala, insha'Allah, we want to discuss the opening of the chest of Rasulullah sallallahu Finally, we, we got to it. The opening of the chest of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa This incident is very famous in the seerah. And there's more than one hadith which mentions this incident. There's slight differences in the narrative, and inshallah we'll try and take a couple. But the essence of the, of the story and the narration is the same. The chest of Rasulullah sallallahu wasallam was opened. If we look at the hadith in Sahih Muslim, the hadith of Anas an, he says that Jibreel salam came to the Messenger of Allah, Sallallahu alayhi wa Whilst he was playing with the other boys And remember we spoke about the countryside yesterday That it was a stable environment And they were allowed to be children To run around to play There weren't Any obstacles that stopped them from free play Like caravans coming into the city And leaving the city makkah a small place Right? So he was playing with His foster brothers And the other boys and he says that Jibreel took hold of him and threw him to the ground and opened his chest and took out his heart. You can imagine, yeah? and when you when you obviously this is this is something we haven't seen, right? So we don't know exactly uh, how it was, but if you think of a doctor that operates on you and so on and so forth, and the process and the intricacies here you have this show subhanAllah uh, Wallahu ala kulli shayin qadir. Allah is upon all things able. Take him, put him on the ground, slip the heart, take out the heart. Slip the chest, take out the heart. Right? This is what Jibreel did to Rasulullah ﷺ. The best of all angels, the, 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 the king of the angels, the boss of the angels, Jibreel ﷺ. A mighty angel. There are certain matters that are specific to Jibreel ﷺ, such as revelation. And we know the famous hadith, that when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves someone, he calls out to Jibreel. And Jibreel starts ascending the heavens. And the angels are all excited in anticipation. Subhanallah, Allah has summoned Jibreel. What does Allah have for Jibreel? And Allah says to Jibreel, If Jibreel I love this person, so love him. And then Jibreel starts descending the heavens. And as he descends, they start asking, What did Allah tell you? What did Allah tell you? A mighty angel. Subhanallah. Subhanallah. He has specifics that other angels do not. And Jibreel starts telling them, Allah told me that he loves this person and commanded me to love him. So the angels of those heavens, they want to have a portion of these gifts that go to Jibreel. So they said, we will also love him until the creations of the skies love this person. Subhanallah. May Allah make us beloved to him and make the angels love us, instruct them to love us. Ameen. This is done, my dear brothers and sisters, by pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and not pleasing the people. Right? This is a footnote. And we all love footnotes. We please Allah and not the people. When you do that, and the people are upset with you, Allah causes these skies to love you. And eventually, the love from these skies will be so overwhelming that the people on earth will be forced to love you as well. It's a win-win situation when you love Allah and live for Allah and do for Allah, and leave for Allah, and speak for Allah, and remain silent for Allah, and worship only one Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Jibreel took out his heart, and from there he took out a clot of blood and said, this was the shaytan's share of you. And then he washed his heart in a vessel of gold that was filled with zamzam, this blessed water that was from the barakah of Ismail and Ibrahim then he put his heart back uh, in and uh, or he put the heart together returned it back to its place now when this happened the boys immediately obviously this was this was crazy i mean you know as uh, some of the youth say in some countries they go this is sick <laughs> you know that i had i went to the uk and i was saying "Because they go sheikh that's sick i say really you mean that's bad he said, no, oh, that's very good. He said, really? Sick means good? They say, yes. When you say that, sick, that means it's good. <laughs> so anyway, mashaallah sign of the times, isn't it? The, the evolution of language. You know, uh, when we were growing up, there was slang as well. And our teachers used to tease us. They say, you know, uh, when you guys grow up, I don't know what type of sheikhs you guys will be. You know, what, what speeches you'll be giving to your audiences, you know? All the slang words will be coming out. But subhanAllah, it didn't happen. When we, when we learned the deen, it fixed us up. <laughs> so, they ran quickly to Halima. Obviously, she's in charge of him. This is, this is something which no one can imagine. So, she went to her, and they said to her, or they went to her, and they said to her, that Muhammad has been killed. That's the first thing you think about. Somebody's heart has been taken out, he's been killed. And... They went to him. Obviously, they all ran. Halima and these boys went to him and they saw that he had a discolored coloration of, his skin was slightly discolored. Anas said, Anas, the narrator of this hadith says, I used to see the mark of the stitchings on his chest. Where they stitched his heart, I used to see it. Amazing, right? Anas was a companion. He passed away very late. If my memory serves me right, this is the hadith of Anas ibn Malik. There was another Anas but this is the hadith of the Anas that passed away very late. And this is the Anas that was in the service of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa for several years. Always looking after his affairs. And he says, that I was in the service of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa for so many years, not once did he ever tell me why did you do this if I did it, or why didn't you do it, if I didn't do it. Sallallahu wa wasallam. This was him, Sallallahu alaihi wasallam. We have another uh, narration uh, which is considered acceptable as well, and this narration says that Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam said, "I was being taken off by the women of Banu Saad ibn Bakr, meaning Halima. so I went off with a son of hers." along with some of our goats, and this is a sign that Rasul, the scholars, when they, when they look at this narration, they say he was four years old when his, when his chest was cut. Why? They say because we cannot imagine a two-year-old or somebody younger than four, years, or, than four years of age actually looking after goats or sheep. Right? So the fact that in this narration, he says, we went out, it wasn't just about playing, we also took the, the, uh, the goats or the sheep out. Uh, uh, to shepherd them, this is a sign that he was four. So in this narration, we have a specific thing. The first one said he went out to play. This one uh, tells us that, uh, that there was something extra than playing, and that was also the fact that they were acting as shepherds to the flock. Which means Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa was around four years of age, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. He says, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, we did not take any provisions with us, so I said, oh my brother, go and bring us some provision from our mother, meaning our foster mother. Not his real mother. His real mother was Amina. She was in Mecca. From our foster mother. So my brother went off and I remained with the herd. Then two white beings appeared in the sky. They were flying. And Rasulullah uh, said, It was as if they were two Eagles, as if there were two eagles. He says, then one said to the other, is it him? Subhanallah. Imagine how vibrant this narration is. Right? There's a lot of adjectives in it. I mean, there's a lot of description. Is, is it him? So the other said, yes. So they hastened immediately and took hold of me and threw me upon the ground on my back. And then they split my chest and extract, extracted two black cloths from it. And one of them said to his companion, Bring me ice water. And he washed my insides with it. Then he said, Bring me snow water. And he washed my heart with it. Then he said, Bring me tranquility. And then he planted it in my heart. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. Ala bi dhikri Allahi tatma'inna Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Indeed, it is with the remembrance of Allah that the hearts become tranquil. In this narration, he says, this angel said, bring me tranquility. And it was planted in the heart of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He says, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Then one of them said to his companion, right now, sew it up. So he sewed it up and sealed it with the seal of prophethood. Then one of them said to the other, place him upon a scale and place a thousand of his nation upon another scale. Allahu Akbar, upon the other scale. To show the relevance of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam in this globe and on this earth. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's messenger says, So I saw a thousand people above me and I feared that some of them were going to fall upon me. And he said, if his whole nation were weighed against him, he would outweigh them. They were having a conversation between themselves. Like doctors have when they're operating on you. You don't know, you're sleeping. Right? You're under anesthetic. They're talking. You don't know what they're saying. Maybe they're talking about dinner last night. And you're thinking, if you're awake, you would be super scared. saying subhanallah, you're cutting my heart and talking about last night's dinner. <laughs> Casual conversation. Right? Wallahu a'alam, I'm not a doctor. I don't know what they're doing. Inshallah, it's more serious than that. <laughs> but what do you get from this? The angels are having a discussion here, right? So he says, and, and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa is witnessing this. He says that they said, if his whole nation were weighed against him, he would outweigh them, and then they went off and left me. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa said, I became very scared, and I went back to my mother, and informed her of what I had experienced, So I wish that I had been mistaken for somebody else. He he didn't know what happened to him. So he he hoped, you know, sometimes mistaken identity. Right? Somebody knocks your door, the authorities, you say, I hope this is mistaken identity. Because I've done nothing worthy of, of whatever, you know, of authorities knocking on my door, right? So inshallah, ya Allah, make this mistaken identity. That when it's done, it's done. Right? Inshallah. So he went running hoping this is mistaken identity. And... She told him, "I entrust you to Allah's protection." So she prepared a camel of hers for riding, placed Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam on the saddle, and rode behind me until we reached my real mother, Aminah. Then she said, "I have fulfilled my trust and my responsibility," and she told her what had happened to uh, to the Prophet sallallahu wasallam. But she says this never alarmed the mother of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. What would happen to a parent? Heart attack. Really? Are you serious? I think you're having a delusion. What do you mean a heart was taken out, put back in, person's in front of me, everything's looking fine. You're sure you, you're not deluded, you're not, what do they say? You know, when you fuzzy in the mind, right? <laughs> right? I, no, she wasn't allowed. And she said to Halima that when he came out from me, I saw light which shone and revealed the palaces of Sham." Subhanallah, Subhanallah. The scholars have a bit of discussion regarding this, uh, uh, this light that came out of, of Amina and which lit up the palaces of Sham and exactly when it happened. But this is not our discussion right now. The fact is this is what she said, right? In this particular narration, which means she was prepared to accept that this son or this child is a special one. Like Ya'qub alayhi salam learned when Yusuf alayhi salam was young, that this son is a special one. Now, as we said, according to the correct opinion, this happened when Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi Wasallam was four. Right? For the reason cited, the fact that he was... Uh, in the second narration, we, we, we learned that he was actually uh, acting as a shepherd to the herd. Right? There is another time in the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa when his chest was opened. When was this? During the Isra' al-Mi'raj. During the Isra' al-Mi'raj, we have authentic an authentic narration that states that his chest again was opened, uh, the chest of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Now, we learn many lessons from this incident. Let's, let's take a few. Firstly, we learn, brothers and sisters, the preparation of our prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam for prophecy he was being prepared all everything that was happening him was preparation and we discussed in our last episode that he was being prepared for prophecy before he was born because he was born as an orphan so he was already receiving a life different to others his experiences were different his maturity or his levels of maturity were most definitely greater than others right and this preparation continued Such as in this incident. Now, this teaches us something very important. That if you and I want greatness, greatness. We don't want to be mediocre. We don't want to be average. We don't want to be like everybody else. We want to have greatness. Then, then, you have to start early. It requires an early start. Those who have kids, we have ambitions for our kids. We are allowed to have ambitions for our kids. Yes, they must make the major life decisions by, on, you know, by themselves. We must guide them and equip them to make the decisions. Who should they, uh, they should marry? What uh, profession they want to take? What uh, degree they want to study? We should guide them, help them make the right decision. But the decision should be theirs. But every parent does have some form of wish and dream for their child. It could be you want your child to be a hafidh. It could be you want him to have extra special manners. It could be you want him to be so close to Allah. A child that tears for the sake of Allah. These are general ambitions. These are ambitions that do not pollute the child's ability to be independent. In fact, it will always be good for the child to have this. And this is important, good character, especially my dear brothers and sisters. Before even becoming a hafidh of the Qur'an, many parents ask me, we want our child to become a hafidh. I say, why? I want to understand what's your thought process. Rather, you teach him good manners, that's compulsory. Becoming a hafiz isn't. And if you can do both, then that's better. But I just want to bring your attention to something which is overlooked good manners. Subhanallah, how many huffa'ath do we have that don't have good manners? They don't represent the Quran that they carry. May Allah protect us and forgive us. Allahul Musta'an. They think they're doing good and they're getting sinned. They're receiving sins for it. This is true, brothers and sisters. You know, our scholars, Rahmatullahi Alaihi, teach us that not every dhikr is a means of getting reward. Some dhikr, you get sins for it because you've done it in, a, in, in, in an innovative way. In a, in, in a way that's considered bid'ah. Or you've done it for, any, for some other reason other than Allah. That's why I tell the brothers, you know, sometimes you're sitting in a gathering, something happens, and someone shouts, Takbir, and everybody, Allahu Akbar. I tell them, brothers, hold on. Why are you saying Allahu Akbar and why are you saying takbir? Is it just raw excitement or are you remembering that you're remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And remembering Allah comes with adab. It has its adab as well, right? It has its adab. As long as you remember you're having adab and doing it, that's fine, right? It's important that we remind the ummah. So it doesn't just become fashion. It becomes, sometimes it becomes fashion. We forget this is dhikr. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam says, many a reciter recites the Qur'an and the Qur'an curses them. I was going to say, they don't look after the correct recitation of the Qur'an, the tajweed, the makharij. They don't look after the message of the Qur'an. The Qur'an says, wa aqimus الصَّلَاةِ and observe the salah and they're far away from the salah. The Qur'an is calling you to good character and you have bad character. May Allah protect Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam khuluquhu al-Qur'an. His character was the Qur'an. The Qur'an nurtured him. We know that in the month of Ramadan, Subhanallah. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam He was the best of people. He had the greatest quality in his worship. He had the greatest quality in everything that he did. The sahaba say, and in Ramadan he was even better. If you thought no one could top it, he would top it even in Ramadan. And I pondered over this, uh, my dear brothers and sisters, I've pondered over this because there's another narration which says that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Ramadan he would revise the Quran with Jibreel. This was a mighty revision. And we know he, he, his character was the Qur'an. He was nurtured by the Qur'an. So if he's revising the Qur'an with Jibreel, surely this is going to bring about a different level of excellence. Thus he was more charitable in Ramadan, even more kinder and so on and so forth. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Right? So we ask Allah to protect us from being amidst the group that lack diligence with the book of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Coming back to the point. You have ambition as a parent. You want your child to be a hafiz. Not just an average hafiz. A great hafiz. Not just to have average character. Great character. When does it start? When does it start? In the case of children. When do you think? Huh? Before they're born. Yes. Before you even got married. It starts by making dua and then choosing the right spouse. Rasulullah was being prepared before he was even born. Take the lessons, this is fiqh seerah, let's learn, let's ponder, right? He was being nurtured before he was born, Allah took his father away. We're saying for you to instigate greatness in your child's life, it starts from before they're born by making dua choosing the right wife, naming them the correct name, and starting young with them. From the first breath, start putting them on the way of greatness. You know, there's this famous study done by Anders Ericsson. It wasn't famous when he did, when he did it, but, uh, a famous author, American author by the name of Malcolm Gladwell, made this, have you heard of him? Malcolm Gladwell? He made this theory famous in his book called Outliers, right? he made this this theory this theory this research of Anders Ericsson famous in outliers outliers it's a book it's a type of biography he's studying different um personalities people who became great and he's trying to understand their secret for success right and in it he mentions he mentions this study of Anders Ericsson which states that for you to be excellent and great in what you do, you need to have practiced it for 10,000 hours. Whoa, some people are thinking, do, do I even live that long? <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> you do. Inshallah, Allah grant us barakah in our life. 10,000 hours. Right, now, obviously this is on average. Right, I think, I think Uh, After outliers, I think many people, many books and blogs and articles that came out, in my humble view, misrepresented the study. Because they started saying you need 10,000 hours period. And that's not true. Differs from person to person, obviously. Some people less, some people more. But that's fine. On average, he's saying through his research, right? You need a 10,000 hours to be the best. And they put it to around 10 years. 10 years of doing it. Ten years of doing it before you're a person of excellence, which means if you start from your child by the time he's born, by the age of ten, he's gonna be at somebody else. He's gonna be the best in that field. Subhanallah. And we don't care about that study because we have Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, the best of examples, and this is where we learn it from first. Okay? So this is the first thing that we learn. Start early. It starts before you get married, even for our sisters. My dear sisters, you know, choose the right man. He doesn't have to be the man that can earn you a million dollars. It's got to be the man that can raise a priceless family. May Allah grant us the understanding. I mean, We also learn from this incident, my dear brothers and sisters, the infallible nature of Rasulullah wasallam. The infallible, uh, he, he was infallible. What was he infallible in? In terms of risalah, in terms of wahi, in terms of releasing to us the teachings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He never made a mistake. What he said to us was from Allah, was from Allah. And the way he said it was exactly how it came to him. Because the angels operated on him. He was free from mistake in religion. And he was free from having the ability to commit major sins. Free from it. We must believe it. This incident teaches us this. Is that clear? So there's no mistake in religion. And when we say there's no mistake in religion, we also say that there's nothing that he was supposed to teach us, that he forgot to teach us or did not release to us. Even from this angle, we say he was perfect. Which means there's no room for bid'ah. There's no room for bid'ah. There's no room for somebody to innovate something in the religion and start worshipping Allah in a certain way, that Rasulullah didn't do. Because if you believe Muhammadur Rasulullah, I worship Allah based on this man's teachings, and you believe he was ma'asum and infallible, especially in religion, there was no mistake, and no mistake also entails that he didn't forget to teach us anything, or he, and he didn't withhold anything from us. All this dictates that you only worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon His way upon his way. There can be no better way than the way of Muhammad s.a.w. لَقَدْ جَاءَكُمْ Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Indeed, in the messenger of Allah was a perfect example. A perfect example. For, for who? For the one who intends Allah and in the hereafter. What do you intend in your ibadah? You intend Allah? What do you intend in your ibadah? You intend the hereafter. Allah says, you intend Allah and you intend the hereafter. Follow Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. He is the perfect example. Allah says, Allah reveals to Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam that we found you not upon complete guidance and we guided you. We found you searching how to worship Allah. You didn't know how to. Yes, you didn't commit adultery. You didn't consume alcohol. You didn't succumbulate the Kaaba naked. You didn't bury females alive. You didn't prostrate to idols. You didn't. Wallaillahil hamd, and you were under the care of Allah, Subhanahu wa Taala, and angels operated on you as you were growing up, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. But you did not know how to worship Allah. fahada so we guided you and taught you how to worship Allah. We revealed to you, إقرأ ربك الذي that's why, you see, we need the seerah also to know how to understand the Quran. It's wrong to interpret the ayah, وَوَجَدَكَ ضَالًّا And we, some people say, we found you misguided. This is incorrect. Because baal in the Arabic language carries the meaning of misguided. But here we understand the meaning in light of what we know from the seerah. If Allah sent angels to operate on the heart of Muhammad ibn Abdullah wasallam, he was protected from misguidance from the word God. Before he even attained the age of puberty. So he was never misguided. So we tweak the way we translate the ayah and understand it. We found you not upon complete guidance. You are upon guidance, but not complete guidance. And we revealed to you and completed guidance for you. Thus, you and I, we only follow the way of Muhammad ibn Abdullah. Wallahi, there's no better way for us. Allah wants us to worship Him the way Allah wants to be worshipped. Not how you feel, you want to worship Him. And how you feel, you want to worship Him. And how He feels, He wants to worship Him. And how she feels, she wants to worship Him. No. How Allah wants to be worshipped. Does Allah not have a right to be worshipped how He wants to be worshipped? Indeed He does. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we learn from this, how bid'ah has no place in in this sharia, in this life of ours, the life of a believer. Muhammad was infallible. And this refers to him being perfect in delivering the message to us. We also learn, my dear brothers and sisters, and this is an important lesson. The boundaries of our intellectuality. Many a times, university goers, they have this confusion because university feeds confusion into your mind. You know, when you start studying all these sciences, objective morality and priori and a priori type of knowledge and all these type of epistemology and all these different type of knowledge is al Musta'an Which are not beneficial only beneficial if you really need to refute people and, and 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 understand it But it's not beneficial in terms of your of your belief really in terms of of, of 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 tying you to Allah and making your belief perfect With Allah there's no benefit in this knowledge That knowledge is in the Quran and the Sunnah Alhamdulillah Many a student asks, "What is the role of our mind in life?" There's many things that don't make sense. They start questioning. They start questioning narrations of the Prophet Sallallahu They start. They start questioning. It doesn't make sense, right? I have three or four narrations in my mind right now from impressionable people like some of the youth in the uh, some of you in the audience. Start asking questions. This hadith doesn't make sense. This ayah doesn't make sense. How, how can it be? We learn from this incident the role of our intellectuality in this life. That you and I, we have intelligence, walillah alhamd. But this intelligence is governed by the sharia. By the sharia. The sharia borders the Sharia is the framework We use our intellectuality within this framework Yes, we have emotions And then we have intelligence And intellectuality And then we have the sharia. Our scholars teach us That we use our, our emotions in light of our intelligence You know, some, some people say Think with your head, not with your heart Right? That's what they're talking about They're talking about that think with your head not meaning use your intelligence not your emotion that's true and on top of that we say use the sharia and not your intelligence is that clear is that clear and this is where belief comes in this is where belief comes in belief is believing the unseen doesn't have to make sense to you how can a man's heart be taken out and I'm a doctor I'm a medical student this is practically impossible this can never happen this is not scientifically proven this this and that and that it doesn't matter my dear brother what we have is an authentic narration and the best person to have walked the face of this earth said that it happened it happened we have listened and we have believed is that clear But this doesn't mean that we just believe without evidence. Here I'm saying, even if the message goes against what your intelligence tells you, we believe it because of evidence. I'm not giving you the Christian argument because the Christians say, one plus one plus one equals one. And you say, but that doesn't make sense. They say, just believe it, that's belief. No, I'm not giving you that narrative. I'm saying, it doesn't make sense. Believe it, but believe it because there's evidence. There's evidence as clear as the sun that this happened to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, right? This came to us in an authentic narration. No, there's no dispute in the chain that this happened to Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. We said the hadith of Anas in Sahih Muslim. This is authentic, right? It happened. We have evidence, so we say here. We will not do tahqeem al aql. We will not use our mind in front of the sharia and deny the sharia. Do you understand? Otherwise, there will be no guidance. If everybody was left, or if the mind was the be, the be all and the ends all, why would Allah send prophets? Why would Allah reveal books? We all have minds, it's enough. Right or wrong? So, is that clear, brothers and sisters? If, yes, shaitan. Confuses us about a certain point that look, this is not technically possible. That's why we say technically possible, but it is still possible in a non-technical way. <laughs> you know, some say that technically it shouldn't happen. See, yeah, it shouldn't, but it did. <laughs> so, non-technically it can. <laughs> right? If you ever face a situation, you hear a hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, or you come across an ay in the Quran, and the teaching is something that is not common. Your intelligence has not fathomed this before. Your job is to submit. This is istislam, which is Islam submitting to the will of Allah. Why? Because this is evidence. The Quran, I believe in this. This is true without doubt. And this hadith is true without doubt. The evidence is correct. Khalas, there's no role for my mind here. I will follow the evidence. Belief with evidence. This is Islam. The Christian narrative is belief. Believe, it doesn't make sense but believe. And they'll tell you that is belief. That's how we know the believers from the disbelievers. You have to believe in this nonsensical thing. As the other person said, the nonsense thing. The nonsensical thing, right? (laughs) They say, believe it. We say, it doesn't make sense, but it has evidence. Thus, believe it. Is that clear? Excellent. So this is a very important uh, lesson that we Land. Then brothers and sisters, after this incident, we have the incident of the death of the mother of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, sallam. And this Wallahi, you know, our love for Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and we're learning about his life. This affects us. It affects us. We're learning about the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, You know, test after test after test. And now you're losing your mother. And, and, and listen to this. Listen to how it happened. Amina decided to take Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam to... Medina And she went with His carer Remember the carer from the beginning? Baraka. Her name was Barakah So they went On this journey To Medina And she was She wanted to visit the grave of her husband We know As we discussed Abdullah The father of Rasulullah He got sick on his way back from Sham And he passed away in Medina He went to take rest in Medina With his uncles His maternal uncles So he went there And he passed away So she wanted to visit the grave Her son is 6 years old let me teach him about his father. So she took him with and they went to Medina. And Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam had fond memories of his mother and that trip. Subhanallah. He had fond memories sallallahu alayhi He was six years old wasallam. When they got there, she got ill and she passed away. She passed away. When did she pass away? On the way back. Not in Medina. And not in Makkah. A place in between. Which makes this even more difficult. It makes this even more difficult. Because imagine this young boy is with his mother. And his mother's passed away. There's no uncles. From, from maternal or paternal. To pull you away from the scene as a young boy. You know what we do with kids? We protect them. We blind them from the difficulty. Something happens. We take them away. Take them to another room. Not so we try and cheat them, we take them away. When I say cheat them, not cheat them in the bad way, but you know what I'm saying, to take their attention, uh, transfer the attention to something else. There was no one to do this for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa He witnessed his mother passing away, sallallahu alayhi wa Right? And that is why, uh, uh, when you go further in the seerah, you see during the sulh of Hudaybiyah, the incident at Hudaybiyah, when they had the, the treaty of Hudaybiyah, he went to visit the grave of his mother, and he cried, and the Sahaba cried as well. He cried وسلم, and the Sahaba cried as well. And he said, وسلم, I took permission from Allah to visit the grave of my mother, and he allowed me. And I took permission from Allah, or I sought permission from Allah to seek forgiveness for my mother, and he didn't permit me. Subhanallah. He was a true submitter, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Submitted to the will of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. He submitted to the will of his creator, subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he cried. And the people with him cried. Sallallahu alayhi wasallam, wa radiallahu anhum, ajma'een. Rasulullah, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, my dear brothers and sisters, becomes an orphan for a second time. Six years after his birth, he becomes an orphan for the second time. And this is why Rasulullah had a special affection with orphans. He had an affection for orphans from both religion, because it was nothing he said was from himself. Allah says, in huwa illa wahyuha. Nothing that Rasulullah sallallahu wasallam said was from himself. Everything which he said was revelation, and he taught us amazing things about. He taught us amazing things about the orphans and looking after the orphans. This was religion, but our scholars say it was also experience because he experienced being an orphan twice in his life, and that is why Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam passionately said. That myself and the carer of an orphan will be like this in Jannah. And he put his two fingers together. SubhanAllah. You want close proximity to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. You wish to have to have him sallallahu alaihi wasallam as your neighbor, and what a neighbor would you have? You wish to have him as your neighbour, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. This is the way. Anna waqafal al-Yatim ha? Anna al yateem. أَنَا وَكَافِلُ الْيَتِيمِ كهاتي. Passionately he said it. He will be with me in Jannah like this. Because he knows how it was to be an orphan. And that is why once when someone went to Rasulullah and complained of a hard heart, what did Rasulullah say to him? This hadith is, all, is acceptable. Rasulullah said to him, wipe your hand over the hairs of, of an orphan subhanallah wipe your hand over the, hairs over the head of an orphan it will soften your heart and you will do a mighty good to this child imagine this orphan looking at the children these children have their parents rubbing their heads playing with them teaching them how to ride a bicycle tucking them to bed at night buying them gifts picking them up carrying them throwing them taking them to the park he sees all this subhanallah Indeed, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam harisun alaykum bil mu'mineen ra'ufu raheem sallallahu alayhi wa sallam He was concerned about us. He was gentle with the ummah, even with the orphans, especially with the orphans, brothers and sisters. Wallahi, brothers and sisters, we have young boys and girls in the ummah that deserve to be adopted. We have, you know what's happening in Syria. We have young children's parents being annihilated. You know what's happening in Palestine. You know what's happening in places in Africa. And they don't even have the systems that are known to us in the West, systems to take care of orphans. This is where you and I have to, if we can't at least feel the need to, if you feel I don't have, I'm not physically able to, my, my lifestyle, Wallahu a'lam, you should try your best still to convince yourself. But if you really feel, at least have the compassion. As I told you in our other sitting, at least feel the desire to sponsor an orphanage. At least feel the desire to go visit an orphanage and wipe your hand over the head of orphans. Feel it, brothers and sisters. Your love of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa dictates this. Our love for Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam dictates this. This is the ummah of Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, not what the news channels are putting out there, and what they say and they say and they say about us. This is izza and this is honor. Wallahi, you want great change to come to the ummah? Go look after the orphans. You want great change to come to the ummah? Go look after the widows. Look at the sahaba and how they were with the widows, without them knowing they were they were a means of provision for them. Without them knowing, sustenance was coming. Allah was using the sahaba for them. Today we have no concern. No, we can't take a second wife. Our first wife will kick us out of the house. <laughs> that, that might be true. That might be the case. But who said you still can't help them? Would your wife deny you assisting them financially? No. So why haven't you? So I tell the brothers, they want to, oh, they're joking around second wife, second wife. Look, are you serious or are you joking? I know the conversation sounds good. You know, every get together, you go to everyone is trying to be a man. I say, you're trying to be a man. You know, second wife, if your wife was here, you wouldn't say this discussion. And even if she allowed you, I don't think you would do it. Wallahu a'lam. <laughs> men are few. Men are few. We say, I say to them, look, at the end of the day, whatever your circumstance, there's widows that you can assist. And your wife will support you doing it. Why don't you do it? Why don't we do it, brothers and sisters? Where's our priorities? ما غرّك al kareem Wallahi... Allah is saying, Oh mankind, ما غرّك بربك الكريم What has put you in a deception of Allah? Who is Kareem? What has put you in a deception of, of your deen? What has put you in a deception of the message of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa What has made you deny his character, his message, his way? What happened to you? you chasing after this dunya. For what? It is Allah fa خلقك for adalak. It is Allah who created you. He fashioned you. He made you stand up upright. ما أريد منهم من رزق وما أريد أن يطعمون إن الله هو الرزاق ذو القوة المتين Allah says it is Allah who is the provider, the only provider, the perpetual provider, the one who provides for you and continuously provides for you, subhanahu wa ta'ala. What has happened to us, my dear brothers and sisters? I introduce you to the seerah of the best person to have walked the face of this earth, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa This was the message. May Allah grant us the understanding. Ameen. We learn also, brothers and sisters, from this, that we are allowed to become sad. We are allowed to cry when we experience loss. We have what is called al-awsaafa al الْجِبِلِّيَّةِ Human nature. Human nature. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa cried, as you've just heard. He cried, it's allowed. And when his son passed away, Ibrahim, he also cried. When he buried him. We'll come to that inshallah. Allah was testing his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And preparing him sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. He cried. We are allowed to tear. We are allowed to cry. We mustn't stop people from crying. It's human nature to cry. It's good to cry. But what you shouldn't do is deny Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What you shouldn't do is utter words of kufr. What you shouldn't do is cry in a kufr way. When I say kufr, I mean an ungrateful way, where you'd like denying Allah and blaming Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, where you start wailing and tearing your clothes and throwing things around. And when people try to console you, you push them away and say, leave me and so on and so forth, where you become uncontrollable. This is what you shouldn't do. But should you cry in a civilized manner? Yes, you should. You should. And perhaps it is good for you, it is human nature. It is human nature, it's good for your mind. It's good for the chemical balance of your brain and your emotion. Right? We learned this from this incident in the seerah. Then after Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam's mother passed away, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspired his grandfather, Abdul Muttalib, to take care of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, And Abdul Muqtalib. Allah placed in his heart such great love for Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam that he said it wasn't even seen from him with his sons. He used to have a mat that would be placed in the shade of the Kaaba, And we know his, his authority with regards to the Kaaba and its affairs. He would have a mat and no one was allowed to sit on it. But Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam would come sit and when his sons or the uncles of Rasulullah sallallahu would come remove him because they knew you're not allowed to sit with with the, with the grandfather or with our father in this spot he would, he would uh, prevent them from doing it and say indeed this boy is blessed, is praised, leave him. And we learn from this the grandfather-grandson relationship. Has anyone seen it? Grandfather-grandson relationship? How many of us have children? here, and your father's alive? mashallah. Allah preserve him in, 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 in his obedience. I mean, how is your father with your child? And how was he with you? <laughs> different, right? It's, it's amazing, wallahi. I have two young boys, alhamdulillah. One four and a half, one is one and a half. And my father with them, wallah, he's a different man. I never saw this man growing up. Not that he wasn't good to me, wallahi, he was good. But it's even, he's even more amazing. With, uh, with, this is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And when I, when, I, when I read this in the seerah, and I thought about this, this incident, how the sons weren't allowed to sit, but the grandson was allowed, I said, subhanahu rabbil ala'ala. Wallahi, this is from human nature. It's Allah who places the spe- special love in the heart of the grandparents for the grandchildren. The grandparents, you know, the parents might say, you know what? Don't feed my child ice cream. Right? Don't feed them ice cream. Coke, don't coke. No, 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 you shouldn't have coke. Juice, preservatives, no juice. Right? Parents have left, meaning the son, the parent of the child, who is the son of the, uh, the, the, uh, of, of the grandfather, he's saying, uh, these are the instructions. What happens when the parent goes, grandfather, just have some ice cream here. <laughs> right? You want some coke, sip some coke. It's okay. It's okay. You know, your father used to drink coke also. He, he turned out okay. <laughs> right? This is what happens, isn't it? Grandfathers don't... And grandmothers. Look at the presents that come. Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar. You sit and think, Subhanallah, let me count my presents. My whole life. And count the presents in the first year of this child, it's more than what I ever received. What sin did I do? (laughs) Right? Allah places a special... a special love in the hearts of the grandparents for the grandchildren. We learn this from the story. Now, after... Rasulullah sallam enjoyed the special care but only for two years. Because two years later when he was eight years old, Allah decreed that his grandfather uh, pass away. And when that happened, Allah subhanahu wa taala inspired uh, the grandfather before passing away to leave instruction that after his passing, Muhammad sallam will go to the real brother of Abdullah who was the father of Rasulullah Abdullah and Abu Talib, they had the same father and same mother. So it was decreed that Rasulullah sallallahu wasallam went to him and he loved Rasulullah sallallahu wasallam so much Allah put love in his heart for him that it is said he never left the house except with Rasulullah sallallahu wasallam and he never went to sleep except next to Rasulullah sallallahu wasallam and he would never travel on a journey except with Rasulullah sallallahu wasallam despite him being so poor and despite him having such a big family he had such a big family and there in the history books record him being extremely poor. But even despite this, he would do so. And he would become one of the greatest supporters of Rasulullah wasallam. We will learn more about him in the upcoming... Uh, episode insha'Allah because he supported Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa for more than 40 years. If my memory serves me right, he passed away 10 years after the Prophet sallallahu wasallam became a prophet. When Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa was around 50. So that means he supported him for more than 40 years. Allahu Akbar. Insha'Allah tomorrow when we come back, we will learn... Um, uh, the, the, the next incident in, 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 in the life of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and that is the incident of the monk uh, that was uh, found during one of the travels of Abu Talib and as we said he always took Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam with everything correct said my dear brothers and sisters is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and he's perfect. And any mistakes are from myself and shaitan. And I seek Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's forgiveness. I love you all for the sake of Allah. And I appreciate you being very, very punctual and uh, attending every day. This is a long series, I know. It's cold. We're in the central business district as well. Some of you are coming from out. MashaAllah, tabarak Allah. Allah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this a means of us truly, or growing true love for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam and reviving a sunnah with every lesson that we take together. Ameen. May Allah gather us here during the upcoming nights. Ameen. Wa sallallahu wa wa baraka ala nabiya Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. Subhanallah wa bihamdihi subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika nashadu an la ilaha illa ant nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.